If you have been a victim of sexual assault and need help, you can call 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673 to speak to a trained staff member in your area. You will receive confidential support, local resources, and information about the laws in your community. This is Hashtag History, episode 47. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And today was the first day that felt like fall, right? Oh my god, it was so good. And and, and it's only like mid-October now that it's finally feeling like... Yeah, not even. I mean... Actually, yeah, you're right. It's When this comes out, it'll be mid-October. But yeah, today was the first day that dropped below 80 degrees. It was a high of 70-something. It was nice. And I'm someone that loves summer, but... um, it was a nice change. Plus, for anyone that's not familiar, we are from California, and it doesn't start to cool down until, like, mid to late October. And also, being from California, we've been dealing with, you know, insane wildfires for the last two months. Yeah. So even though it looks overcast um, for the last month and a half now, it's just been smoke. Yeah, it's, it's not actually overcast. There's no cooling from the you know no it's it's just humidity and it's very very hot smoky humid um i've pretty much had a headache for the last two months yeah it's uh, i heard when it was really bad it was the equivalent of if you went out there and just breathed for like an hour it was the equivalent of smoking two packs of cigarettes oh my god and that's why i kind of early on in some of the worst wildfires i regretted this later but i you went out for a run. I went out. That's exactly what I was going to say. I went out on a run and I was like, I know that it's smoky. I know that it's bad, but I think I can push through. And typically I do like a couple laps around the park by the house. I got not even halfway through one lap and I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And then I was like annoyed with myself because I was like, why <laughs> was would what I, I do was that thinking to when myself? you texted me too? I was like, why? I, I think what I was thinking was you can power through, you can do it and not recognizing the detriment that like that it was unhealthy to my yeah yeah that's not okay anyway that was just to say that today felt kind of nice it was nice yeah it, it was nice i think it was like 78 i went for a bike ride for the first time in like four months and you said you got cold i was cold before i started getting sweaty and stuff that's crazy yeah i was actually chilly that makes me happy yeah. anyway so this week I am really, really looking forward to covering this week's topic because in addition to it being a dark chapter in American history, which is kind of what we do here, and in addition to being the story of an insanely brave woman, also kind of what we do here, it also reflects a turning point in history and it feels really near and dear to my heart in particular because I am such a feminist and supporter of all things women's rights. It's something that I knew very little about before researching and it has become really important to me to make sure more people know about it as well. You all will remember that in our episode two weeks ago about John Demyanyuk, the Nazi death camp guard that moved to the United States and tried to evade persecution, we talked about how there's a really great Netflix documentary about that incident called The Devil Next Door. Have you watched it yet? I haven't. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. It's because okay. it, it's a like multiple part. Yeah, I think I I watched the first part. Got it. So I just didn't finish it. Got it. It's It's five parts and it's very good, but it's like a... All day Saturday, yeah, sit down on the and couch. I just have not. Mm. That's good. 
That's good. That's good to not have five hours of screen time oh, at a time. Oh, I would, I would, I would just say I'm prioritizing Vampire Diaries <laughs> over. <laughs> oh my! I, I knew that's where this was going. Like, n- n- no, no, no. I do spend five hours of screen time. However, it's not to learn about a Nazi, and it's mostly because like my, most of my screen time is like background. Yes, so yes. it's like not my full attention. And something like this, you need, I to, need focus. to give it. Yeah, no, that's my favorite. I mean. That's why I watch so much Catfish, because it's sort of background-ish. Yeah. Anyway, so this week's topic actually does come from a Netflix documentary. I guess that speaks to how much I have been Netflix and quarantining these last few months. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, with the Demyanyuk episode, I already knew about Demyanyuk, but watching the Netflix documentary and hearing from a listener that they really wanted us to cover that case sealed the deal for me. But the case we were talking about this week, on the other hand... I am ashamed to say that I knew very little about it before watching the Netflix documentary. And I can say I, other than seeing you selected it as a topic and then doing a little bit of like, what are we talking about here? I had never heard of it. And I think that's super common because truthfully, like within the first like five minutes of the Netflix documentary, Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe this is jogging something in my brain, but I I knew almost nothing about it. And by almost nothing, I mean... I knew 1% of what I put together this week before researching. Yeah. So it was the Netflix documentary that was the basis for my interest in covering this case on this season of the podcast. This is a case that I should have known about, everyone should know about. So I am grateful to the Trial by Media series that Netflix put out a few months ago. And this is just a little plug for that series. Not that we're trying to get sponsored by Netflix or anything. <laughs> what? <laughs> but anyway, that series is called Trial by Media, and it is so, so good. It's a series with each episode covering a different infamous case that was sensationalized by the media. For example, some of the cases they have covered are the Subway Vigilante in New York in 1984, Rod Blagojevich trial, They even covered a murder case that arose from the Jenny Jones show. Mm. But the particular case we are discussing this week is the case of Cheryl Orojo, the first ever televised rape case. In 1983, Orojo was gang raped by four men when she was only 21 years old. People stood around, watched it happen, and did nothing. Even worse, when her case was brought to trial, the narrative was flipped to essentially blame the victim to say Araujo brought it on herself and that her rape was her fault. Yeah. We're going to introduce our cocktail in a moment, like we always do, but we want to say up front that this episode may contain triggers for some people in relation to sexual assault and rape. If those topics are particularly triggering for you, we just want to advise caution. Or that you just skip this episode entirely and we will see you at the same time, same place next week when we talk about something else dark and morbid in history. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can expect that from us. (laughs) I also want to address the fact that I think we all suffer from imposter syndrome on some level. And I want to be open and transparent and say that I sort of feel like that with this episode. I want to discuss rape culture, connotations, and misunderstandings, but I also know that I'm not necessarily well-versed in this arena. What I am well-versed in, though, is equal rights, women's rights, and that's why I want to talk about this today. I want to change the narrative and 
as a women's activist, I am dedicated to pushing past my imposter syndrome feelings to bring you a topic that I think is so, so important. And with that, let's drink. Let's drink. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Okay, at Rachel's fantastic suggestion, this week's drinks, wait, this week's drinks, yes, this week's drinks connection wow. needed, yeah, it needed to be a stiff one. Yeah, kind kind of sounds like you already had a stiff one. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> we wanted a cocktail known for its strength and its ability to get the job done because we need all the help we can get to get through this episode. Yeah. So tonight we're drinking a version of a Long Island iced tea. I am so excited. I can't believe it's taken us this many seasons to get to a Long Island. Yeah, because we classy like that. Yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) what it is. Yeah, I think in our last episode, right, we talked about... I might have cut it out. It was it was in the outtakes. Yeah, so in the outtakes, if you go back to our last episode, we a little portion of the story is in the outtakes, but basically we have lots of lots of long long-term relationships with long islands um oh my god i love that long-term relationships with long islands they they played a big role in our friendship i would say yeah well and so what we kind of briefly touched on in the outtakes is is that there's a place that a well leah could speak to it more because she's the one that introduced me to it it's a place we used to go line dancing and they would do five dollar you know buy five drinks for five dollars oh and God. then at at seven it's buy seven or you know buy yeah. three drinks for seven dollars or whatever it yeah, was like yeah, you yeah. buy a certain amount at a certain price at a certain time yeah so when you would go up to go get a long island from the bar it was like you had to get like three of them, right? Minimum. At a minimum, because you're still not even putting down 20 bucks and you just got three yeah. cocktails. And strong cocktails. Yeah, which is pretty much how and why I line yeah. dance. <laughs> right? Isn't yeah. that why anyone line dances, yeah. really? Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyways, by the time all, you know, let's say five of us are there, by the time all of us come back from the bar, there's about 30 Long Island sitting at our table that uh-huh. we're all just... um have to drink yeah and and pre-covid times it was like whichever glass is mine i'm not really oh, sure yeah. yeah we couldn't have given a less of a shit <laughs> yeah yeah so so we're doing a spin on it this is the blue long island because you had that blue curacao and it's so beautiful yeah the drink so in addition to that and i'm pretty sure it's going to turn our tongues blue <clears throat> the drink includes vodka it's supposed to include gin, but none of us, neither of us had gin. And why would we buy? Why a would bottle? we buy a bottle of gin? Meh. <laughs> um, light rum, tequila, uh, fresh squeezed lemon juice, and simple syrup. Are you ready? I love it. Yeah. I'm not gonna be able. Like I, this is what I don't understand. Yeah. And I understand the blue curacao has. Is sweet. Yeah. And I understand the simple syrup is sweet. I know where you're going with this. How the f- Is it good? 
is it good? Yeah, because 80% of it is liquor. I And especially like a regular Long Island, I think instead of the blue curacao, it, it's like Coke. They just do a squirt of Coke. That's right. That's right. And so I just don't get it. But it's delicious. I'm not going to be able to finish it. No, no. And I, I shouldn't. Because we won't make it through the episode if I finish. Especially because, guys, we record like three episodes at a time. Yeah, so. we're recording in batches and this is our first one. So so by the end of the night, you're going to know which episode we're on by the end of the night. <laughs> and why did we start with the heaviest drink first? Because we need yeah. it. We need it with yes, this. Yes, we do okay. need this. Well, thank you. I really do love the Long Island. I think it's crazy that we got all the way to episode 47 without having a good old Long Island iced tea. Yes. And how would you rate this? Can I rate it based on nostalgia? Uh, and eight. taste. Yeah. Why not? 8.5. Eight yeah. Because it's good and it makes me happy. Yeah. Like, guys... I'm sure all of us... I don't know anybody that didn't go through a Long Island phase. Like, in college? Yeah. yeah. Or at least no girls. Yeah, at least girls have gone through the Long Island phase, right? Yeah. It makes me happy. Yeah, and I would agree. 8.5. Oh, my God. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. So, for this week's episode, we are headed to New Bedford, Massachusetts. Which Just because we're always in Massachusetts. We're always in Massachusetts. What is up with that? What is going on with you, Massachusetts? You okay, girl? <laughs> Are you, you okay? Because okay? we see you a lot on this podcast. <laughs> it's March 6th, 1983. A 21-year-old woman named Cheryl Araujo had just put her two daughters down for bed. She left to go buy some cigarettes, but found that the store she normally went to was closed. She knew that Big Dan's Tavern, a local bar, sold cigarettes, so she popped over there instead. We know that Araujo was familiar with one of the waitresses, so she and the waitress sat down together to have a drink. At some point, the waitress got up, likely to return to work. That's just me assuming. I don't know. But we do know that at some point, Araujo is left alone at the table. Because people will be assholes and poke at Araujo's character, I feel it is important to address that eyewitnesses said that she was not drunk and was totally coherent. None of that matters when it comes to what happened to her, but I just wanted to address that up front. While Arajo was sitting at this table by herself, two men came up behind her and began tearing at her clothes. Two other men joined in on the attack and threw her onto the pool table where they pulled off her pants and undergarments and raped Just her. Just in the bar? In the bar, and there are other people standing around. What the fuck? I think that speaks to the level of, um, obviously, human assholery. I'm also thinking these men must have been severely intoxicated. That is not an excuse at all. But no. I'm trying to... This sounds so insane that I'm trying to picture what happened. Like, I'm trying to picture being at the bar and standing by while someone is, like, not not even being raped. Like, just people having sex. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. That would be very uncomfortable and you would do something to put an end to it. Yes. Well, that's not what happened here. Araujo kicked and screamed and tried to get away to no avail. And it gets so much worse. As she was screaming for help, others stood around and did nothing. In fact, she reported hearing people laughing, cheering, yelling. Apparently, one of the bartenders says that he did attempt to call the cops, but one of her assailants blocked his path. 
It's not entirely clear exactly how many people were in the bar at the time of the attack. Initially, Araujo reported to the police that she believed there were 12 to 15 onlookers. Yeah. After further investigation, it looks like there were actually approximately 10 people in the bar at the time, six of which included her attackers. You heard that correctly. There were six men involved in the attack that night, four of which were directly involved in her assault, with two others as active onlookers that were cheering it on. So that means there were four people who aren't assholes attacking and raping a woman in a bar that just stood by, too. And I mean... I'm, they're not to blame, but no, no, it's it's wrong. It's all of this. Summit. Did you ever take a psychology course in college, or like a sociology? I wonder if oh, uh, witchcraft and religion. Oh, you took that class. I didn't end up taking that class. I really wanted to take that class, but everyone wants that class, so I couldn't get it. Yeah, I got a freshman year. Oh my god, I really wanted to take that class. It was like all about voodoo and oh, crap. Instead, I ended up taking like world religions or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, in my psychology class, and I know that anyone listening to this episode that is a psychology major, like uh, Kelly from Whining About Herstory, she's actually going for her master's in psychology. So she's going to listen to this and be like, oh my God, Rachel, you don't know what you're talking about because I can't remember the exact case. But I remember in my psychology course, we talked about um, human psychology in an instance where there was Mm -hmm. um, a woman Mm -hmm. like being attacked like on the street And there were all these apartment buildings around her and not a single person called the cops. And there were like hundreds of people that heard what was happening. But it's that, um, I don't know the term, but it's the psychology for where like, I I assume you called the cops, which is why I didn't call the cops. What I'm saying though, is that in that case, people were assuming someone else took care of this. No, That's why I didn't call. In this particular case that we are talking about this week, that's not even an excuse i'm just not that type of person like if i hear someone screaming i'm like oh let me what does it hurt to call the cops yeah you're right you you are that type of person which is a good thing and i wish that someone like you had been there the night that this happened to a a rojo another thing i think we do have to take into account and again this is not an excuse Mm -hmm. but it's not like nowadays where everyone has cell phones everyone can just pick up and call the police or or that kind of thing yeah it's the 80s right And, and we do know that one of the bartenders did attempt to call the cops with the phone that was at the bar but i also still think in some accounts that i read it said that her assailants blocked the door too so maybe that was the case i just feel like i would try my damnedest to get out the door and get some help yeah Anyway, most accounts I read said that they estimate that this attack continued for nearly two hours. Oh, yeah. Two hours. I was imagining like 10 minutes, like five repeatedly raped over and over by four men. It's unfathomable. I can't. It's unfathomable. Two hours of complete torture while people are standing around and watching. Because no one was helping her, Araujo eventually got away herself and ran into the street half naked. A couple of college students that were driving by picked her up and drove her to the hospital. When they picked her up, one of the students said that Araujo was only wearing a coat 
and a single sock. He also said that he noticed a handful of guys follow her out from the bar, but turned back into the bar when they saw the college students picking her up. Oh my God. This is an incredibly personal and violent thing that happened to a Raucho. Statistics from the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network say that three in four victims of sexual assault do not report it. The fact that Araujo came forward and spoke about what happened to her is so incredibly brave. Especially at that time. At that time, and, and she grew up in New Bedford. That's her home. That's where she grew up. That's where she raised her daughters. Mm-hmm. So people know her. Yeah. And she had the bravery to do that. Yeah. She said the reason why she chose to do so was because of her two daughters. She said she wanted the world to be a better place for them. And truly, that's the main reason why I am always standing up for women's rights, because I'll be damned if my sisters, my nieces, my dance students grow up in a world that I could have made better for them, but didn't. Mm -hmm. And a large chunk of the New Bedford community agreed with this sentiment. In fact, some 2,500 people joined together in protest to have the men involved in this case arrested and charged. I've actually uploaded a picture here from that protest. You can't really see much or make out everything that these signs read but you get the gist of it you can tell what that one sign says at least yeah women support women yeah supporting women i I love that phrase yeah yeah that's great yeah it's just in the 80s it's just really beautiful to see all these women that came together and said this is unacceptable Mm -hmm. yeah you can see there's you can't see a ton of people but you can see in the background like there's lots of legs and 2500 people wow Hi, and thanks for checking out Drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm Cassidy. And I'm Amanda. And this is a podcast dedicated to the mysterious. Are you into conspiracy theories? True crime? Aliens? The paranormal? If so, you might be interested in our podcast, Drinking the Kool-Aid. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Just remember to keep your front door locked, your mind open, and and keep keep drinking drinking the Kool-Aid. A few weeks after the assault, the six men were arrested. The names of these pieces of shit were John Cordero, Victor Raposo, Daniel Silva, and Joseph Vieira. They were all charged with aggravated rape. And then Jose and Virgilio Maderos were charged with joint enterprise, a term for when you encourage an illegal act and do nothing to stop it. Interestingly, they chose to only conduct two trials, one for the men charged with aggravated rape and one for the men charged with joint enterprise. They did this basically to keep the men from testifying against one another. So during the trial, they had, you know, four defendants there with four attorneys representing them in the same trial. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the defendants because there is something really, really important here that is going to turn the case on its head. All six defendants in this matter were Portuguese Americans. This is a really big deal. At this time, the Portuguese community made up 60% of New Bedford. Wow. So you had the Portuguese community up in arms that members of their community had been charged with the assault. They organized protests to question the charges. And, And this is something we see a lot, right? You and I have talked about this on a very personal level that I don't necessarily want to get into very much here but it's the concept that people identify so strongly with their culture their political party their community that they simply cannot see when someone is wrong yeah and that's something i try very especially right now with politics i try very very hard not to do yeah i try very hard to be able to say 
they made a good point. What are what is this side doing versus this side? Right. You know what I mean? Be critical of both sides. Yes. There's no perfect yes. perfection going on right now in American politics. I, I actually just listened to a podcast recently that he was saying uh, he's a Democrat and he regularly reads Republican news. Yeah. Just to see like you don't want to turn a blind eye just because that's not the party you associate with. I think we have something similar here. The Portuguese community felt put on the spot. They felt like the scapegoats. In fact, a magazine at the time ran a picture of a fake postcard with a naked woman on it that read, Greetings from New Bedford, Massachusetts, the Portuguese gang rape capital of America. That is not okay. No. But because of this, the New Bedford Portuguese community stood up for one another even if some of their members were in the wrong. And this is this is an unfortunate situation where it's like, I'm sure they got defensive because they know that their culture as a whole was probably under scrutiny 100%. and attack. And not that that is to excuse the behavior of these four to six individuals. Yeah. And that is what people did in defense of the Portuguese community. There's that postcard that I just read. And then um, there were protests, you know, in, in support of Araujo that said things like, you know, the Portuguese need to go back to their country. And they they basically just said, like, you're in America, act like Americans. Things like that are so not okay and so not appropriate. And they're proud of their culture and their community. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that then means that they chose to cast a blind eye to when members of their community did something that was horrendous, horrendous. Mm -hmm. This rape case was an instance where a local trial became national news and everyone had their own opinion about it. You had many women being interviewed on TV saying, you know, people do not ask to be raped. They do not ask to be defiled and degraded. You have women speaking out about their own experiences and sharing that you never truly return to the person you were before you were raped. It changes you. And you have both men and women challenging the narrative of rape, separating it from sex and recognizing that it is indeed an act of violence. But then you have the worst of the worst of people interviewed on live television saying that rape only becomes rape when a woman that initially consented later becomes vindictive. Or maybe the worst of all the interviews that I saw was one in which a woman point blank said, a man only rapes a woman if she wants it. That's literally the opposite of what rape means. People kept questioning Joe's credibility and character. What was she wearing? Who gives a shit? Why was she alone? Who gives a shit? What was she doing at a bar when she has kids at home? Who gives a shit? She was asking for it, is what the community said. To make it clear, no one asks to be raped. No one. As if this case wasn't already big enough, the media approached the judge presiding over the trial, Judge William Young, and asked if the trial could be filmed. And Young agreed. This was the first time that a rape case had ever been televised. Obviously, a rape case is an extremely sensitive trial to cover. It is widely known amongst courts and journalists across the country that the names of victims of sexual assault do not get disclosed. Many states have laws prohibiting the disclosure of the names and addresses of rape victims. Confidentiality is vital to the protection of these victims. So the judge says he went over all of this with the media beforehand. He went over the protocol and told them the rules. The cameras would never show Araujo's face. 
even though he was a bit wary because of the sensitivity of the case, he was still fascinated by the idea of the media covering the trial. He told them that if they were going to be there, they were going to be there every single day, all day, filming every single piece of evidence. He really felt that there was a public benefit to having the trial broadcast. When the trial began on February 23rd, 1984, people were hooked. CNN, for one, aired the trial for three hours a day. There was one guy in the Netflix documentary that said he had stopped watching his soap operas because the dramatic trial had taken the place of them. It was a very intense courtroom. The stance that the defense took was that the men believed that it was consensual. Can you even imagine? That's still like not... I don't know how to say this. Like what you did was not okay. Yes. In any way. In in any weird gray area, not okay. Yeah. But the fact that she was laid out on a pool table in front crying, of people, crying and screaming, screaming trying help. to get away, and she had four men repeatedly raping they her. They had to rip the clothes off of her. Yes. That is evidence that this was not consensual. No. And that was the defense's argument. Can you even imagine that? I mean, God, what kind of argument is that? A stupid one. Even worse, one of the defense attorneys was a woman who said in her argument, women have a responsibility by their words and by their behavior to say no. That is not my responsibility. No. And it is not my responsibility to make you feel comfortable. Yeah, to make you feel comfortable. And the way that I'm dressing and behaving should project the message no. In essence, she was saying that Arajo had not said no, and therefore the act was consensual. She was asked if she smoked marijuana, if it was typical of her to go into a bar when the men inside were being rowdy. I mean, this is just so outrageous. Like, you are in the wrong and... I am questioning your character because you went into a bar where you noticed a couple of the guys were being rowdy. So if you get raped while you're in there, it's your fault. It's so horrendous. I have no words. <sighs> On the prosecution side, they had several witnesses, such as the police officers that examined Araujo after the incident, saying they spotted a bruise on her inner thigh that looked exactly like a handprint. And yet another witness who said he had never seen someone so scared before in his entire life. And then Araujo took the stand. This was the moment everyone had been waiting for. Remember how the media was schooled on not filming the victim's face? They stuck to this. But nobody, including the judge, thought through the fact that the victim would be saying her name and address on the stand. And that this would be filmed and recorded live. The name and address of the rape victim officially became public record. Can you imagine? She has two young daughters. Instantly, she began worrying about her safety. The four defendants charged with aggravated rape were found guilty, despite the level of victim blaming that occurred in this case. The other two men charged with watching the rape and not stopping it were acquitted. The Portuguese community was outraged by the verdict. 3,000 people gathered in front of City Hall to protest it. There are quotes from people that participated in that protest saying that Araujo's rape case had put the Portuguese community on trial and that while they were opposed to rape, they wouldn't allow this case to make immigrants the scapegoat. I under Again, I understand not wanting your culture, your community to be the scapegoat or uh, under attack, but to defend people that very clearly did wrong are guilty 
just because they're part yeah. of that community, I can't. And it's something okay. that you and I have talked about a lot insofar as politics are concerned, that people that are supporting really horrendous political figures that they simply, know are horrendous, that they know are horrendous because it's because they identify so strongly with their political party that they refuse to not support that individual. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just seeing that theme over and over and over. Yeah. And it's really disheartening. For Araujo, this changed her life forever. Like I said earlier, she grew up in New Bedford. That was her community, her home. It's where her family was, where her friends were, where she had raised her two daughters. And yet this public trial made it impossible for her to stay. She moved to Florida and tried to make a life for herself there. She started secretarial school, but struggled. Just two years after the trial ended, at only 25 years old, Araujo was in a car accident in which her car slammed into a pole and she died. To this day, we are not certain whether drugs or alcohol were involved, although that is the common theory. Unfortunately, Araujo struggled heavily with alcoholism following the trial and even spent several months after the trial at a rehabilitation center for it. Despite the fact that her trial had been so widely publicized, her death received next to no media attention. Of the four men put away for raping her, none of them would serve more than six years. The legacy of this case is far-reaching. Following this case, there was a significant decline in rape victims willing to come forward. In addition to being criminalized and blamed for her own rape, Araujo's case also showed the dangers of televised court proceedings as she lost all of her confidentiality and safety in the process. In 1988, a film titled The Accused, starring Jodie Foster, was released. It was based on the Araujo rape case. Foster's character in the movie is raped by three men while at a bar. Foster portrayed a character, much like Araujo, whose bravery in coming forward was ripped apart as she ended up being blamed for her own rape. Foster actually received an Oscar for the role. When she accepted the award, she said, Cruelty might be very human and it might be very cultural, but it's not acceptable. I love Jody, And we've talked about her now twice on this podcast. God, what is going on? Between Jody Foster and Massachusetts, I mean, they're like our common themes yeah. that just keep on keeping <laughs> on. Thank you all so much for listening to this really awful episode of Hashtag History. Yeah, we know it was rough. Uh, The picture that we described in this week's episode will be posted on our Instagram. And all sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website at hashtag history-pod.com. And while you're checking us out on our website, please do us the biggest favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use, share it with a friend, and then give us a rate and review. And be sure, as always, to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.